This is a free download from the Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building. At LeBanks, St Sampson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. Folks, a couple of weeks ago, I was um, I was asked to uh, do a seminar at Shiloh Church, and um, they asked me to do a seminar on how to read the Bible for all it's worth. And so I was speaking to John um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he said he was away this Sunday and, and invited me to come and just share that this morning with you. So this morning's a little bit different. Okay, it's not so much a preach, um, more sort of a teaching kind of kind of a thing. I think I want to say something like that, sort of fits into that category. Um, so it's, on, it's about the Bible, really, and how to read the Bible for all it's worth. And I think perhaps in the 21st century, there is a bit of a danger of um, Bible illiteracy, becoming a bit illiterate when it comes to the Bible. And that can be so dangerous for so many reasons. If we aren't reading the Bible, we don't know how to read the Bible. Dangerous because then we can, it can seem that God is silent, in a way, we feel like God's not speaking to us. Um, it's dangerous because the Bible can then just become an add-on to our life, like an optional add-on, and not the core of who we are. It can be dangerous because doctrinal errors creep in. If we don't really know what we're reading or we don't understand what we're reading, then we are creating some sort of doctrine that was, is never there and never intended. Our Christianity, I think, becomes shallow if, if we're not reading the Bible correctly. We lose the opportunity to encounter God. I would say that, you know, it's great to gather here on a Sunday, encounter God in worship and as the words preach, but also on our own when we're reading the word. And if we've got this Bible illiteracy going on, maybe we, we kind of fail to see the sense of flow going throughout the Bible from start to finish, from Genesis to Revelation. You know, we have, this Bible is the world's best-selling book, okay? And we have it. Our faith, our religion has it, the bestseller. Um, a, a great author once said, if you took just ten authors and took ten authors from one period of time, one generation, one place, one moment, and you got them to write about one controversial topic, the likelihood that they would agree on that would be really, really small. Okay? And yet we have a book that has 40 authors written over 40 generations, written over a time span of 1,500 years, different places, different generations, different continents, different languages, and yet they are all agreed on this one topic, this one idea, the redemption plan of God, God's saving grace for humanity. That is amazing. And that alone, those credentials alone, warrant, um, they warrant looking at it. You know, if anyone's going to search for the truth, the credentials alone of the Bible, you'd have to have a look at it, whether or not you choose to believe it, but you need to study it because of that. And that's, that's awesome, isn't it? That's our book. It's pretty cool. Um, and yet sometimes the Bible can become um, just something that maybe we don't always use to the fullest effect, we, and that could be for many reasons. Yeah? Sometimes we don't hold it in place in our life enough personally or hold it in place 
uh, in importance enough in the church, perhaps, um, all sorts of things. I went to a conference, this was many years ago, I went to a conference in the UK, like a leading conference, a massive conference, and I remember coming away from somebody who was speaking and preaching, and I, I think they referred to the Bible once on this tiny little thing, and then just went off on this massive preach. And that's such a shame, isn't it? Because it, was really, it wasn't really about the Bible, it was really about what their, their idea, their, what they were saying. And sometimes maybe the Bible isn't held up with enough importance. And, and, you know, I always think, let's just be honest as Christians. Let's just, you know, put the cards on the table and let's just say it as is. We struggle with the Bible, probably. Well, I know I do. You know, we struggle with it and, and we can struggle to read it and we can struggle to understand it. And we, we would all claim that the Bible is so important and fundamental to our faith. And yet, maybe I shouldn't say this, but could, could I say that we find the Bible boring at times? Could, I, could we dare to say that? Let's just be honest and say. Now, the thing is, is that it isn't boring. It's the most exciting, sensational, amazing book. But if we're not really sure how to read it or we don't get it, it can seem a bit boring, it can seem a bit dry. You know, I've woken up many a time face-planted in the Bible. Like, I'm sure maybe you have, maybe that's just me. <laughs> you know, when you're reading and then you sort of like... Am I all right with this? We're getting a bit... And, but it happens, doesn't it? And, and that's not because the Bible's not exciting. It's because I'm not me reading it right or I'm not sure what I'm doing with it. I don't know. But let's be honest, it can be a bit of a struggle sometimes. And um, I hope today, as I just take like 30 minutes or so on this topic, just to inspire you again, maybe just to encourage us again with the Bible, just a little bit about how to read it. I don't want to tell you something you already know but you probably do, but just to inspire us again to get back to the Bible. Um, You know, this topic, how to read the Bible for its worth, books have been written on this, I don't know, so much, and I could speak on this probably forever, really, but I'm going to try and speak to you something um, for 30 minutes. So, like I said, it is a little bit more of a seminar, so that means it's audience participation. This is when you look at the person next to you and go, oh no, I really wish I wasn't sat next to them. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I can see it happening here, look. Uh, no, it's nothing, nothing awful. What I'm going to do is this. Um, have I got... Yes, great. Okay. No. I do need to turn this on, Nicole, to, for it to work. Yes. Is that working? Right. Okay. Um, I think I've done this before in church, but probably not in a biblical way. So um, I want you to think of this. Uh, this little game that you might play at dinner parties, a fantasy dinner party. Who would you invite to your fantasy dinner party? Okay. If you could invite anyone. But I want you to stick on the theme of biblical characters. Okay, so if you can invite anyone from the Bible to your fantasy dinner party, who would you invite and why? Now, I'm, gonna, I'm not allowing Jesus to be there. Or let's just say Jesus is there, okay? Because we'd all choose Jesus, right? So we're not choosing Jesus. Somebody else from the Bible that you would have around your table, why would you invite them? Um, and I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them who that person is and why. Okay? And if you don't know the Bible at all and you don't know any characters, just listen to the other person talking. Okay, off you go. Okay. So, who would you invite to your fantasy dinner party, biblical character? Anybody want to shout out who they'd invite? Esther. Why would you invite Esther? Esther's on my list, like top woman, 
Um, amazing courage needed. It'd be great to have her to speak to. Anybody else? Anyone? Peter. Yeah, it'd be interesting to speak to Peter. Okay, good. Oh, I could go around the room asking everybody who they invite. Um, but, you know, the Bible is fascinating. And just talking about characters, you know, and then we're saying, think, yeah, wouldn't it be great to speak to that person or that person? Because they've got so much to teach us and say to us. The Bible's so important, but it's really, really important that we know how to read the Bible, really, for all it's worth. Okay. Um, Go to that, this one. Okay, reading the Bible for all its worth. It's so important because um, if we take, if we look at the Bible and we take something out of context or we read it wrong or we misinterpret it somehow, basically it really could be a kind of a matter of life and death when it comes to people's salvation. Okay, because the church throughout history and through the ages has sometimes taken things and made it into doctrine that could actually turn people really away from God. And there's that little verse in the Bible, isn't it, that says, to whom much is given, much is required and and expected. And we are the to whom much has been given, really. You know, we come to church in complete freedom. We have Bibles. We've got no persecution, really, as such. We've got houses. We've got food. We've we've, We've been given much. We can read. We can write. And so much is expected from us. And there's a responsibility to interpret and to read the scriptures right and to make sure we're doing it correctly so that we don't say something that isn't actually really correct that could turn somebody off the christian faith let's take this issue for a moment okay let's take the issue of women all right i could take more controversial issues but we'll stick with this one for now and throughout the ages the church has gone on you know with this issue should women preach should they speak in church these sorts of things now as you will know our church stance on that for the very fact that i'm speaking is that that's okay for women to do i'm sure there's some men that would love to quote that verse um (laughs) as doctrine but um we haven't like if we took that out of context that verse alone women have to be submissive um they're not allowed to teach they're not allowed to have any authority they have to remain quiet we just read that alone well you know we wouldn't allow women to speak and preach but we don't because it's taken out of context now you imagine if we carried on down the line of women weren't allowed to do anything in church, they weren't allowed to speak, and someone new comes into the faith and says, well, actually, that, you know, I, I, I don't think I can be a part of that, that, where I have a God that doesn't treat women and women equally or, and goes away. That's kind of detrimental to, their, to their, their journey. So it is really important that we get it right and that we know that what we've interpreted in the Scriptures is correct and it's the right thing. So take this issue here. Um, this particular verse was written to a specific Uh, time and place and we have to place it in the historical context so what was happening was Paul was writing to a church in Ephesus and the women were disturbing the services the women were being a little bit disruptive okay sorry women but they were and they needed to be spoken to okay so Paul was writing at that time into a particular situation it's like somebody writing to a particular situation at our church at Delancey for us we wouldn't then go and say, oh, well, elders I'd have to follow that, or Vars will have to follow that, because it's for our church, and it's similar here. So something like that needs to be looked at and read in the context that it was written in. And that's so important that we don't just pick verses out of the Bible and then start applying them to things. You know, the verses and the chapters in the Bible, they were, they were added in way, way later. That's not how the Bible was written. The Bible was not broken down into those. It's, it's been done to make it easier for us to follow. But sometimes... We get a bit hindered by that because we look at the verse and we take it out. It's so important that we read what's before, what's after, and place it in its day. 
Um, so we need to know how to read the Bible because we don't want to make mistakes like this. We want to, we want to look at the Bible and know how to interpret it. So I'm going to do a little bit of a, um, get you thinking a little bit here, okay? Um, the Bible is split into different genres, okay? So you've got the Bible narrative, you've got letters, you've got poetry that's symbolic. Now, if we read those incorrectly, we could be reading something in poetry that's supposed to be symbolic, um, and we might be taking it literally, or we're reading something, um, you know, uh, that literal, and we think it's symbolic, and then we don't do it. So we need to know the genres of the Bible, so I've broken it down into the different genres, okay? So we've got the Pentateuch, history, poetry, major minor prophets, gospels, acts, epistles of Paul, epistles of other apostles, and revelation. That's how the Bible's broken down. Now, with your partner or in your little groups or people around you, I want you to try and think, okay? Um, when I was doing this as a seminar, I got people to actually write it down. But just have a think of where the books of the Bible go into these sections, okay? So can you place the correct books of the Bible into their correct sections, do you think you could do that? Okay, so have a little chat with the person next to you. What would go in the Pentateuch? What would go in the history section? What would go in the poetry? If you're a bit unsure about the books of the Bible, which I would be, you might need to look at your contents page, but if it's got the answers, that's cheating, obviously. Yeah. Have a little go. Just have a little chat. Can we, can we put the right books of the Bible in their right sections? I'm glad no one asked me to do this because I wouldn't have a Scooby's. Right, do you want to see the answers? See if you see if you got near here, okay? So it should look, should have been talking a little bit like this. Yeah? Um, Acts and Revelation are good. <laughs> They're the easy ones. Gospels probably, we're not, we're probably okay with the Gospels. Yeah, it's the sort of, it's remembering all those minor prophets, etc. Okay, but that's just up there, not to, for me, I don't want you to go away thinking I'm testing you on your Bible knowledge. It's just to show you that the Bible has lots of different genres in it. And so when we're reading the Bible, to know where it's coming from is, is quite important. Am I reading a book that's, you know, a major prophet or, or history book? Or am I reading something that's much more poetic, like Psalms or Job or Proverbs? Um, because then again, that will take on a whole different meaning, a different shape to what I'm reading. So we need to interpret the Bible um, correctly. And some people could say, well, why can't we just read it and just get plain meaning from the reading of it and just do it that? But I think that's a little bit unrealistic because of what I've just shown you, the nature of Scripture, but also the nature of the reader. The nature of the reader, if you think about when you read something, you bring so much of yourself to what you're reading. So every time we read something, we bring our understanding of words and ideas, our experiences. We bring our culture to the text. So the way I read something in the Bible might be very, very different to someone across the waters that, that reads the same thing. We're reading the exact same thing, but we're reading it different because I'm, I'm set in a different culture with different ideas and experiences and understanding to them. So we do need to be aware of that. And when we're reading scriptures, we try and take our sort of ourselves out of it in a way and not just bring our culture into it so we need to be aware of the nature of the reader and the nature of scripture as i was saying you know god's word has eternal relevance god's word is eternally relevant and it speaks to us all it speaks to humankind back then today and in the future every age every culture and because it's god's word we obviously we need to listen to it and we need to be obedient to it but God chose to speak his word through people. And he chose to speak it through people in history. 
So the Bible not only has eternal relevance, but it has a historical particularity as well, because it was written at a certain time in a certain place. So every document that we read, every book of the Bible, is conditioned by the language, the time, and the culture that it was originally written in. Right? In some cases, even the oral history, the oral traditions that have been passed down. So interpretation of the Bible is needed because we have this tension of eternal relevance, because it's the word of God, but historical particularity as well. And because of that tension in the middle, we need to interpret it correctly. So there's some people that say, oh, well, the Bible, you might have heard this, the Bible is a history book. Okay? It was written at a time in history for, for people back then, and so when we interpret it, it's, it's with our historical hat on. Okay, so there's that kind of idea. The other idea is that because it's the eternal word of God, everything in it is, is like propositions to be believed or maybe commands, imperatives to be obeyed. And they read it in that way because it's, it's God's word. So it's eternally relevant. So whatever we read in it is, is what it's saying to us. Propositions to be believed, commands to be obeyed. Now, the problem with that, whenever somebody takes that stance, you've then got to go and say, well, okay, there's 613 commands in the Old Testament alone. You know, do you follow them all? So when it tells us not to eat shellfish, when it says you should build parapets around the roof of your houses, when you shouldn't put two seeds in one field, or you shouldn't wear cotton of mixed whatever, do you follow all that? And then you go, well, no, actually, I don't follow that. Um, the Orthodox Jews do, but we, we don't. And so even people of that, that stance that say, well, it's eternally the word of God, actually there can be a bit of a contradiction on what, we, what they follow. And I don't think really the Bible is just that. It's not just a set of sayings from God. And he said, here you go, this is what I'm saying, do it. Um, it might have been easier if he said, this is just forever, for all time, here and now. But actually, God chose to do something so much better. He chose to speak to us through other people. He spoke his eternal truths within a particular circumstance and in a particular event of human history. And I think that's what gives us hope, that God spoke to people, to real people at a real time, in a real place, in the real context of human history. And we can take courage that God will speak words to us in that, in that same way today, again and again, in our lives right now. The fact that the Bible has a human side, I think, is a real encouragement to us. But it is a challenge because we have to interpret it correctly. Because there's some stuff in the Bible that is written for them back then, in their context, in their culture. And so we have to get this, this interpretation right. Okay. So I'm going to give you two words, okay, two fancy words you've probably heard before. I don't know if you have or not. Um, and these are the two kind of crucial things I think we need to think about when we're reading the Bible, okay? One of those words is exegesis, right? And exegesis just basically means this, studying scripture to find its original intent, trying to hear God's word the way people heard it back then. As it were, I say to my students, put your Jewish hats on. Okay, put your kippur on. Okay, try and see it through the eyes of the Jews. You imagine you're a Jew at this time. Try and see what God is saying. What, what, what would the first hearers hear as this is being told to them or being relayed to them? That's just fundamentally important to see what it was back then. So let's have a look at this. Now, I preached on this a while back, and um, I'd, I'd love to think that you remembered what I said. 
and that it was, you know, having a profound impact on your lives day to day. That would be, like, really lovely. But, you know, if you're like anything like me, it's hard to remember what was preached last week sometimes because it kind of encourages you in the moment. But um, so I did preach on this, Abraham and Isaac's story, and I tried to kind of get to the real meaning of the message of this story because this story of Abraham and Isaac, Abraham being asked to sacrifice his son Isaac, is a really, I just think, weird story that's been in the Bible. And all my way growing up through Christianity, I've always thought, I don't get this story. I don't get God in this story. And... Yet it's one that we teach at Sunday school, and it's one we grow up with, and it's one that's preached about a lot. So just with the person next to you, if you don't know the story of Abraham and Isaac, um, don't worry. If the person next to you does, they can tell you a little bit. But basically, God says to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your only son, Isaac. And Abraham says, okay, I'll do it. That's it in a nutshell. Okay? So just with the person next to you, I want you to think, okay, well, what is that story saying to us? Now, if you remembered what I preached you'll know what I'm going to say. But if you weren't here or don't remember, you might not know. Okay, so turn to the person next to you. What is the message? What is, what is Abraham and Isaac? What is that story all about? What's it saying to us? Off you go. Debbie on the front row is like the child at school who sits at the front and gets picked upon by the teacher. Right, Debbie, what is it? Okay, give you a few moments to do that. Um, Abraham and Isaac's story. I think it's a, it's a weird story until... You, you, you do the exegesis on it, I think, until you understand why it's there and why it was written. Okay, because, um, you know, you can say, oh, well, God always knew that Abraham was never going to sacrifice. He was never actually going to ask Abraham to do that because God knew he wasn't. But I still think it's a bit odd that God would ask somebody to sacrifice their child when that is something that is so wrong in our eyes, child sacrifice. You know, we would never justify that ever. Um, it's something so wrong that God asked someone to do. And the weird thing is that Abraham kind of goes, yeah, okay, I'll go and do it. Because if God said that to me today, I want you to sacrifice your child, you know, I wouldn't be, well, I wouldn't be saddling up my donkey, because I don't have one, but I wouldn't be jumping in the car to go and do it either. You know, I would say, God, I just, I, I, don't, I wouldn't get God for asking me that. To do that because that seems such a weird test like I completely get the whole idea of God testing us and taking us through times and it helps us all of that that yeah I get that but asking to do child sacrifice as a test that's hard to swallow but when you see it in the context the context is this isn't it the context is that child sacrifice was something that the people of the time understood because they were always trying to please the gods. Yeah, and you might remember me saying this. They were always trying to appease the gods. And so they would sacrifice as much as they could, their crops, their animals, the best of everything, until it got to what else can we sacrifice to show the gods our devotion? We can sacrifice our children. And so it was in a context where that, that happened. So when Abraham hears God say, sacrifice your child, it's not unusual it would be something that, yeah, okay, God's ask us to do that. The great thing about this story is that God, our God, doesn't ask Abraham to do that. And if you imagine hearing this story as, you know, back in the day, back then, that would have been such an amazing thing for them to see that this God, not the gods of this and the gods of that and the gods of everything else, but this God, this God, our God, does not demand that from you. 
does not ask for you to sacrifice your children. Actually, this God will provide for you because God provides the sacrifice for Abraham. And he also gives a blessing to Abraham and says, your descendants will be great. So this God, you know, you imagine hearing this for the first time. You've put up with the fact that the gods might ask you to sacrifice your children. And then they're telling you this story. And suddenly there's this twist in the story that says, God... Our God doesn't want you to do that. And actually, not only that, it's not about how much you can just give, give, give to God all the time. But God wants to bless you and give to you as well and provide for you and protect you. Wow, amazing story. Now, we understand that notion and that nature of God today. That's what we've been brought up with. We understand that. But back then, they didn't. And so this is just an example of getting the exegesis right. Because otherwise, if you read that story, you know, I I have to teach this story to my students at school and I can never do it justice. And they always sort of go away thinking, well, the God of Christianity is going to ask us to do something like that. And I've always got to try and explain to them. But you've got to see it through the eyes of the first hearers. It makes such a difference to the text. And so exegesis is so important. Now, we're not going to, we're not, you know, biblical scholars. We're not going to know everything about the background. So I think just two important questions when we're reading the Bible, two important questions to read, uh, to ask ourselves is what is the context and what is the content? Okay, so what is the context that we're reading in? You know, what is the historical context? Um, you know, what is the time and the culture and what was the author? Why is the author written this and what's, who is the author? You know, who are the readers of this that he's writing about? Um, what is the geographical, the political, all these different things? What's the setting at the time? And then place it in the right setting. Because actually it's quite important to understand, um, you know, maybe the, a bit of background about Amos, if you're, if you're reading that, or a bit of background about Isaiah, or a bit of, a, a bit of an idea of what they're expecting of the Messiah and, and these sorts of things. Actually, that can really help us when we're reading. And so just, you know, a little bit of a a tip. When we're studying the Bible, now this isn't every day, you know, as we're rushing out the door trying to read the Bible whilst eating our breakfast. This isn't necessarily every day, but actually having a good Bible dictionary, having a good, you know, concordance or something like that with us as we read the Bible, this is when it helps because it gives us a little bit of a background. Um, and a bit of an understanding, maybe about the customs of Jesus' day. Why is Jesus saying that? What does that mean? Why was Jesus using that in his parable? Oh, okay, well, that makes sense because the custom of the day was this, and that can really help us as well. So asking the right questions about the context uh, is important. But also uh, just the literary context as well. I think when we're reading the Bible, we've got to ask ourselves that little question, what's the point? Okay, what is the author's train of thought as he's writing this? You know, why has he said this here, right here in this time? And why has he said that before and that after? And try and really kind of maybe ask those questions questions about the text. Because actually the way the Bible's crafted and written is important. And the sentences that are in there. So we've got the context, um, historical and, and the literary context. Oh, I'm just looking at time. Um, so ask ourselves that. What is the context? And then what is the content as well? Let's just take this, exa- uh, this example here. Okay, Paul is speaking to Corinthians. It says, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. And what we should really want to know here is who is according to the flesh. Is Christ according to the flesh or is it the one knowing him according to the flesh? So what, you know, because that actually makes a difference. It makes a difference to know um, that we... Uh, in this context here, 
know Christ no longer from a worldly point of view. We, us, know Christ no longer from a worldly point of view. Not flesh, but from a worldly viewpoint. We know Christ no longer like that. Um, And that makes a difference. Okay, the way we read something. So we have to think about the context and when we have to think about the content of what we're reading as well. It's not that we know Christ no longer in his earthly life, but just not from the worldly point of view because we're now in relationship with him. We know him differently. All right. And then finally, okay, uh, another word to know is the hermeneutics. We've got exegesis, knowing the original meaning, and hermeneutics, which is, okay, so what is it saying to us today? Um, It means generally more than this, but we'll just use it uh, in this way, okay? What is the Bible meaning here and now? And, you know, that's kind of what, why we go to the Bible, isn't it, m- most of the time? Like, you know, we're in a situation, we want to know what the Bible says about it. So what is it saying in the here and now? But it can't be the starting place. We can't just go to the Bible and just read it in the here and now. Okay? So to do that correctly, we need to know what it is saying back then, like I just said with exegesis. We need to know its original meaning. Because if we go to the Bible now and just go open it up, what's it saying here and now, then we might all, it's very subjective. We might all have different views and different opinions. That's why we have things like, um, you know, prosperity, gospel, you know, the American dream as the Christian right. And that's why we have Mormons baptizing the dead or, you know, whatever it is. Because it's scriptural. They've taken scripture and applied it to the here and now and not placing, you know, not doing the exegesis and looking at the historical context. And so it's dangerous just to read it in the here and now. Um, So we need good exegesis the original meaning, and then we need hermeneutics to know what does it mean for us today. So, a little, just another little task, okay, um, that I want you to do. Again, this is the person next to you. This is a, um, a story in Luke, okay, and if you just read that, and then I want you to think again, just with the person next to you, um, what is this saying to us, okay, from this story? What, what would we get from this particular account, of Jesus and the widow of Nain. Okay, what's it teaching us? Okay, so um, this is just one tiny little passage of Luke, and we read that and we think to ourselves, okay, so what's it, what's it saying? Um, how, what would we get from that? And maybe just because of time, it just you, you know, you might have got things like, okay, so it's a resurrection miracle, and, and you see the power of God at work there. And um, Jesus, you know, showing who he was, I suppose, you know, that he had that power to do that and the compassion of Jesus um, with the widow there. So, you know, you look at that and you say, well, you know, that's perhaps what we would learn from this passage. And I would just say if we went a little bit further and just knew a little bit more about Luke, perhaps, and and the background of Luke as an, um, an author and and uh, knew what he was trying to do, we could read so much more into it. OK, so. Um, Luke was written by Luke, (laughs) but he was writing more for a Greek audience because Matthew writes more for the Jewish audience and Mark more for the Roman audience 
and Luke more for the Greeks, John really for perhaps all people more so. Um, So that's important because what he's trying to do here is he's trying to present Jesus as an ideal human being who came to seek and save the lost. Luke's trying to get people to see that Jesus is really interested in people. And it doesn't matter who the person is, whether they're right at the top of the social status or right at the bottom, Jesus is interested in them. He loves them all. He's for the marginalized. He's for the outcast. And so that's why Luke writes in the way that he writes, okay? He concentrates on individuals. You'll look at, if you compare Luke with the other Gospels, he picks on stories that others don't about the individual that aren't in other Gospels because he's wanting to highlight to people, Jesus is for you, whoever you are, whatever situation you are in, Jesus is for you. And this is why it's great because just the story before, we have the healing of the centurion's servant. So somebody, the centurion there, who is like very significant socially, is being ministered to. Right next, uh, the right next story, Luke's place that, is this one with the widow. And surrounding the widow at that time, actually... Um, she would have, you know, have been someone that needed protecting. It's quite, she might be covered in a bit of shame, really. So she needed defending. And so you've got Jesus ministering to the centurion's servant and then to this widow. And Luke highlights things like that she's a widow, but it's her only son. And, it, and the son was young. So it's highlighting, the, these words aren't just put in just for, for whatever. They're put in to highlight the vulnerability of the situation she's in. She's left with nothing. This was her only son. Okay, and he was young. So there's so much there going on in that story that if we just knew a little bit more, a little bit of background, we could read so much more into the story. And then, of course, that's the exegesis and the hermeneutics is, well, okay, what are we going to read? How are we going to apply it to our life today? Well, obviously, we can say Jesus ministers to us. Whatever our situation, whoever we are, whatever status, whatever we think about ourselves, Jesus ministers to us. He has compassion. He loves us. And the question is, are we going to do the same? Are we going to be people who follow Jesus' footsteps and minister to everybody? So that person at work that we really struggle with, that we don't really like, we'll, we'll minister to everyone else. Well, no, Jesus is saying that person too. The marginalized, the outcast. All oh, right, okay. I see. I see what I need to do. And so then the Bible becomes so much more alive as we read it. We read it in the context. We see the exegesis and we do the hermeneutics. And I'm just going to leave it there today on that, really. But um, what I will leave you with is this. And, and, you know, I don't want to, you know, you take this if you want to. It's really up to you. But um, when I do daily devotion, when I read the Bible... And I try to, you know, when I'm not like running out the door reading a verse with my cornflakes, when life's a little bit more chilled and I'm not busy every, <laughs> all the time, when I read my Bible, I try to ask myself these questions. And I put this down on a little sheet that you're welcome to take with you. And some, there's some references on the back about good books to get to help us with this topic. Um, but I, I generally ask these questions. Um, read through the Bible passage. What grabbed my attention? Ultimately, what grabbed my attention? Then what is it saying back then? So maybe look up and see, you know, what was it saying in the context? What is it saying to me today? How is my life going to change because of this? How am I going to apply what I've read to my life? And then pray that Bible passage through in my life. And I find these really just useful um, when I'm coming to the Bible, equipped with things like a good Bible translation, um, 
you know, you can find a translation that works for you. I like the English Standard Version. I think that's, that's maybe a, better, a bit of a better translation, but, you know, it's up to you. So a translation of the Bible that suits you, dictionary, maybe a commentary, and a journal so to write stuff down I find really useful as well. Um, and then these little questions just help us to really maybe read the Bible in, in a more significant way. Okay, we haven't got all the Bible scholars next to us to go, oh yeah, what does this mean? Uh, so, you know, we're not always going to get it right. But I think just being aware of it is quite good. Because then we're not reading things and we're not just taking things out of their context and applying it when actually it, we might do something. We might be, you know, in danger of doing something wrong there. So it's getting the exegesis and the hermeneutics right. And so if you did want to pick up this, that I've only done a few, but I can always do more. I've just, I'll just leave those out there. And one last thing I'll leave you with. You know, sometimes the whole struggle with reading the Bible is that we're not readers. I don't know. Some of you just might not be a reader. And so not only is it a struggle to read the Bible, but because, you know, it's hard sometimes, but actually we're not naturally readers. Well, you know, I really encourage you to just listen to the Bible. The Bible was written not to really be read. It was written to be heard. And so in our devotional life, actually, I, now with all these apps, I mean, I've got an iPad, so I just, it's really helpful in the morning when you're feeling a little bit sleepy just to have someone read it to you anyway. Yeah, you know, stick it on. But actually hearing the Bible read is really important. You, you can sometimes hear something different when someone reads it to you. So, you know, if you're not the greatest reader, but you can listen to it. I used to fly down the motorway in the UK, and I used to have it on CD. I used to have it, the Bible on CD because life's busy. And sometimes it was just an easier way for me to fit the Bible into my life. If I was on a two-hour journey, I could, you know, I could get through Mark interspersed with, you know, a few tunes. But, you know, it was good. It's a good way to listen to it. And so maybe listening to the Bible could be really, really useful. Or if you're reading it in your own time, to read it out loud. Um, I, I, I love reading the scriptures out loud. I think that's so important. And I think we can learn a lot from reading it out as well. So I just encourage you to do that. Um, it was written to be heard. You know, the people back in the day couldn't read. So they weren't reading the scriptures. They had to hear it. And I think there's something in that as well. So I'm just going to leave you that. Let's pray together. Um, I hope something of that um, has just inspired us again to maybe look at the Bible uh, and, and just to take a bit of a closer look. So Father God, I just thank you for this word. I do thank you so much that it has eternal relevance. I thank you that you spoke to people um, years ago, and um, that still speaks to us today. That's amazing. That's really awesome. And we just thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that we can um, have this eternal uh, word from you. Lord, if we never heard you speak again in church um, through anything else, the Bible alone would be enough. And so we thank you for it. But Lord, I really pray that we would be people of your word, that we would know how to read it and we would understand it better and we would take time to develop those skills. Lord, we don't want to read things out of their context and start using verses to back up arguments when that was never your intention. We want to read it correctly so that we live by it correctly and that we can bring people into your kingdom correctly. So Lord, give us a new awakening a new passion to read your word to know it and to see how exciting it is lord just just a little glimpse of your scripture is so impactful and we thank you for that and we pray that every time we pick up your word to read it our lives would be changed in some way that every time we come to it there would be transformation and that we would say lord 
how am I going to apply this to my life? What is it saying to me today? And I really pray, God, that you would inspire us. I thank you so much. Thank you so much that you spoke to human human people, humans, that you spoke to people and used them to bring your word. God, that's so encouraging for us. It gives us hope that you'll speak to us in our situations where we are today as well. So let us learn your eternal truth, Lord. But let us be wise and let us be discerning and let us not misrepresent you in any way. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Eden Church. For more downloads, information or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelin.co.uk.